Hi, and welcome to Nobody Asked Us, where two friends try to figure out all the things that fascinate, annoy, and baffle us. So join me, Rachel. And me, Sanaz. As we delve into all the things that nobody asked us, but we really wanted to share. So this week we are doing something a little bit different. We're doing a two-parter on everybody's favorite, not everybody's, the internet's favorite show, Succession. It's very relevant right now. There's there's been stuff happening. It's in its final season. So just a heads up, wanted to give you a spoiler alert. This episode is going to be um, relevant to season four, episode three. So if you haven't seen that and you don't want anything spoiled, I would recommend not listening until you have. So um, anyway, shall we get into it, Sanaz? Let's do it. Let's right. do this because we Let's are like the internet. We are equally obsessed with this show. Do you want to start us off, Sanos? Sure. And I'll actually preface by saying, I remember when season one came out, I watched it like everybody else, but I wasn't really into it at the time. I think I kind of took it for face value and just thought, here's another show about people with wealth and power and money. And I just, I, I wasn't as interested, but mm. the more I got into it and the more the characters developed, I started to realize not just the brilliant writing, but the dynamics between the characters, the family members, um, and I was absolutely hooked. So I've gone back and rewatched it actually with subtitles to catch, you know, every little random remark, all the looks between people. Like I, I became such a mega fan when at first I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm into this. But yeah. and another thing that I've noticed, I've heard from other people that started and then couldn't get into it is they're like, well, I just don't like any of the characters. And I'm like, why? Oh why likability so I'm really fascinated by that like I don't know why likability so important when there's a million other human emotions that are being portrayed that are like incredible you know in this episode we're going to focus on the writing and the characters and then in the second episode we'll go on to all the other elements that make it just a phenomenal standout show but yes quick note to start us off on the writers half of the writers are playwrights Half of them are also British, so obviously in different configurations, and half are women. <laughs> and I just find like every part of this, you know, comes to life. Like there are so many scenes when you look at the back and forth of the dialogue, it's very much a play, you know, or the scene is set up in a way that it could be in a theater. Um, and the what comedy, is, you know. What, is that, what does that mean by that? Because I don't know if like most people are familiar with like, I don't know, that plays aren't as popular as they once were. Right, right. So, so like, I think of sometimes the scenes have such simplicity of sets. So like, it'll be one character in a chair. And then in the opening scene, like, another character enters the stage, if you will, right from behind mm, them. And it's just a mm. simple dialogue or two people on ends of like the table kind of going back and forth, or just a group of people sitting in a circle and the cameras kind of moving around. So I think they they kind of emulate a lot of sort of the setups of theater. Another thing I noticed, like this was in, I want to say season one, episode two. So very early on um, when Logan's taken to the hospital, they provide a conference room as like a setup for the family so that, you know, if they have to announce anything about the markets, et cetera, like they can basically set up work right at the hospital. Okay. And at the end of that, and I was, it was towards the end of that episode, but they just had a moment where they had background music, no one's talking and it just shows that room being kind of put back to normal. So they took out all the computers and wires and all the setup and just like returned it to its original state. And I thought of that in terms of theater where 
you're sort of like killing time as you're changing the set, <laughs> you know, like right. they put on right. music and they kind of distract the audience a little bit while they readjust. And I just thought like, you don't need to do that in a film, mm. obviously, but they still kind of show a sense of like the changing of the scene, you know? Um, yes. So I think all those elements and sometimes just even the way the back and forths are between the characters' dialogues very much remind me of theater. Okay. Why don't we go through the characters? So let's start with the core family, um, starting with Logan Roy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thoughts? The, the big dog. Uh, big dog. Big man on campus. <sighs> okay. I'm going to be a little bit controversial here and say that I don't think he's as well fleshed out. Mm -hmm. as some of the other ones definitely not as well fleshed out as the siblings um you know he is this domineering kind of brutal character he has these edges to him where he loves his children but he you know can't relinquish power i mean that's his main trait yeah, right he is that he's, he loves power he doesn't necessarily love money which is interesting mm -mm. he loves power yeah. I think that the show dragged for a while while it was being indecisive. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is that nothing really happened and it was always just Logan domineering over the kids Yeah, and then scrambling around trying to, you know, overtake him or something. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I just think in the last couple seasons, he just became, you know, a little one dimensional. Mm, interesting. But anyway, well, sorry. Those are my controversial thoughts. What are your thoughts? I think. Yeah, I have, I have a softer spot for Logan. Yeah. I think in the beginning, I was more interested in the kids. And I kind of saw him as like that, you know, like you said, the domineering kind of <laughs> asshole man in charge. You can't yeah. give up power. Um, but as I've been rewatching and I think as the characters have developed, to me, the immigrant story component to him actually, in my mind, explains a lot to me. Like, I think if he were just an American through and through, I wouldn't get it as much. But I can see a version where immigrant men, especially like older generations from hard times, difficult backgrounds, you know, not a lot of profuse <laughs> lovey-dovey you know, household mm -hmm. or whatever. Not a lot of cuddles. Yeah. Not a lot of cuddles. Grew up with blood, sweat, and tears and all the grit you could ever ask for have become successful, right? At least in the commercial sense. And they moved to another country. They have kids that are raised in another culture. They probably have a wife from another country, et cetera. Mm. They create this empire and they just don't relate to anybody in their own family. And I can totally sympathize with that. Like, I feel like I've even seen this broadly, you know. In, like, in, in your family? And I would say like extensions of my family of just like, you know, men that were sent to other countries, you know, mm -hmm. and then they end up marrying, you know, someone in that country, having kids there. And it's like, they came from such a different background and they love their families, you know, <laughs> but mm -hmm. there's really an element of I don't get them and they don't get me there's definitely a lot of uh, media being put out about this now about it, it speaking a different language than your children. So yes. everything everywhere all at once, there was a lot about that, but like, just like how, and in a way it's like Logan doesn't speak the same native language as his children. I am eternally fascinated by people who grew up with very poor means 
and then mm-hmm. get wealthy and then their relationship to their kids and how they raise their kids with the wealth. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any good answer. I, I think it's a struggle no matter what your approach is, but I'm really, really interested in that because there feels like there is always this resentment that the parent has that their kids don't have the same hustle as they did, but how mm. could they possibly, because they grew up with a silver spoon and wanted for nothing. And it's just really interesting. It's like, no one wants to purposefully withhold resources from their children, right? They want to give their kids everything. Right. Like you want them to have the lessons that you had to grow up with without having to go through what you had to go through. And it's just completely mm. powerful. Um, yeah. so I can see that I, with him where it's like, he loves his kids. He loves his family, but they just don't get him and he doesn't get them. Right. I think, so what I think, okay, two things I think are interesting about his character and their characters total is that they don't get that they the don't, they, yes, the kids don't understand how uh, dumb they are. <laughs> like, yeah. They don't understand that they are very lucky in a lot of ways. Yes. And, but what I don't understand is why he wants this to be a family business and like, why, like, why not turn the company over to your qualified deputies like Jerry and Carl and Frank and because you know, it's an Carolina. Of him. It's an extension. Of yeah. him. Like, it's right. all part of his inability to give up power. Right. So giving it to his kids as terrible of an idea that is to give it to one of these numb nuts. Like that's still yeah. <laughs> easier for him yeah. than totally giving up control or even selling it. Shall we move on to a discussion of the kids? Uh, the, the, the main three kids mostly. So and Connor and Connor and Connor <laughs> and Connor. Peggy who does a Hamilton reference. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I do. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, all right. So should we start off with his supremely fucked up kids? <laughs> Let's go. So there's the three kids that are vying for power. Uh, Kendall, Shiv and Roman. Yeah. And then there's Connor, who is his son from a first marriage who kind of feels, I mean, he's not, considered to be in the line of succession Mm -hmm. Logan doesn't take him seriously and in 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 the most recent episode after his death uh you see each of the kids dealing with dealing with it very differently um so you have Kendall who's the eldest son from the second mother so Mm -hmm. uh and he's he feels like he needs to take command of the situation. He gives this little speech about how, you know, there will be books written about this day and everything that we say and how we act is going to be reinterpreted for all time. I was like, I thought that that was really uh, more insight than he's shown in the entire series. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what? Right. Like he's like, I mean, he does these stupid things. Like you remember his like rap to his dad. Yeah, but that Hello. also just tells me that he's been so obsessed with this moment. Like he's the one that's overthought how it's all going to play out. So oh, oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, and it actually, if you compare the way the kids acted in this moment versus the very beginning of season one when their dad was in the hospital, it's not too dissimilar. Like okay. Kendall was running around trying to be Mr. CEO, telling his assistant Jess, like find me the best doctor. What's going on? What's the status? Like I want, you know what I mean? Like handling the situation. And Roman's like, he's not going to die. He's not going to die. Like total denial is the same as he was in season four. And then Shiv's just somewhere in the middle where she thinks she's okay. But then she's like 
actually kind of breaks down in key moments. Um, yeah, so I just yeah. think like this time around was just an exaggeration of it, but it encapsulated everything we've learned about them <laughs> since season one in a really clever way with just, you know, the dialogue and um, like, for example, Shiv just being like, dad, dad, daddy, you know, like, oh, really? Yeah. That so like, sad. And then just the sudden tears and, you know, Connor being like, oh, well, I guess I could never make him proud, which sounds like that's what he's been thinking about for years and years as a preparation for his dad's death, you know? So anyway, it just, I, to me, it was like similar, but with more progression and just even more well-roundedness than season one. To me, Roman is the most tragic. I know most people would say Kendall, mm -hmm. but I just, I feel so sad for Roman because he just is so raw and obviously wants that love that he's never going to get. Yeah. Like, I think that he wouldn't care about taking over the company if his dad had just once been like, I love you just the way you are. Right. Right. It doesn't seem like any of the kids actually want it. They just want their dad's approval and love. And the way you get that is mm -hmm. to be a successor. So they're all going after prize that they don't want in the quest of like getting his approval. Like it's really sad. Okay, so I feel like, I don't know, once you say that, I'm just like, what? yeah, of course, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's such a, such a good angle, too. It's just, they, they don't want it. They want daddy. They just want daddy to say we're proud of you, you know? Mm -hmm. And to me, when we met Lady Caroline, their mother, for the first time, that, to me, was just mind-blowing. Because I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I totally right. get why the kids are like this. Because we saw the dad, and we saw their obsession with getting the dad's approval and not really saying much or caring about the mom. But then when you meet the mom, you're like, Oh, now I get the full picture. <laughs> She's such a great character. Such She's an so underrated good. character. She's so good. You know, I wonder if that just goes back to like half the writers being British and inserting this very specific type of stereotype about like British aristocracies, you know? Yes. Yes. That's and just very the fair. nuances of it. Like I, the other thing I found really interesting about the mother is like when, you know, Shiv was having a discussion with her where she was basically like, you were cruel to me when I was a kid. The mom was like, you were a cruel kid too. <laughs> Which is wild. And so <laughs> wow. out of pocket. Like it's, it's a kid. Shut up. <laughs> but she's like, you knew how to, you know, twist the dagger too. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, I've like no, the immaturity that. of this woman. Like, <laughs> but that's kind of the point, right? Where right. it's like a child raising a child. Oh, or where she just tells the, the kid like too much or she's like, oh, your dad never had a, she's like, I, I, I never wanted dogs with your dad because there was, and he's like, there was nothing he loved that he wouldn't kick to see if it would come back. Wow. Uh, I remember that line very strongly because like, oh, but you wouldn't have dogs, but you'd have kids. Right, right, right. Yeah. Which I mean, isn't that like another stereotype of like British Arab? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they only have love for dogs and horses. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's not true. Yeah. But again, of, playing into yeah. the stereotype. But let's talk a little bit about Roman. Mm -hmm. Uh Roman, the perverse, hilarious, so funny middle sibling, I guess, but seems like the youngest. Yeah, uh, and he has this quasi-sexual, psychosexual relationship with Jerry. Mm -hmm. um, where do you think he falls in this whole rubric of wanting power or wanting approval? 
I think he's just approval. For me, it's all he, he sees it as all a game, but it's because it's a game to him, he's going to be the less least hurt by it. Right. I mean, I I mean there is this aspect of vulnerability in each of those characters and uh, we haven't talked about Connor yet, but mm -hmm. there is that thing in him that you see and you can't help but, you know, feel enormous amounts of empathy for them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Kendall's Kendall's struggles are very apparent. Uh Shiv completely blowing up her life just because she wants daddy's love. Mm -hmm. Roman doing the same. <laughs> and Connor trying to be a bit of a rebel. Yeah. Uh because he's always been outcast by his dad. And a lot of people commented on the the thing he said, which was well, he never liked me anyway. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see that as so heartbreaking. I saw that as closure for him. Mm, interesting. I, <laughs> I have this theory that Connor, in a weird way, is the smartest of them all in the sense that by proactively getting out of this game, if you will, he's kind of, in my mind, ending up with more of what he wants out of it. Like, I have a theory like, okay, so the others are vying for an empire to control Whereas I feel like Connor's just spending the money that he wants to spend and enjoy it regardless. Oh. Like it is not cheap to run for president of the United States. The others don't seem to be kind of moving forward with their lives in any way until they know if they're running the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But while you're waiting to see if you get the whole pie, Connor's just like chewing through his massive <laughs> bite, you know? And it's like, they keep oh my God. along. And doing his thing. Wait, a couple of these things. So, um, do you remember when Logan chewed him out for buying a fake Napoleon dick? Yeah, like shit like that. <laughs> Who are you buying like, Napoleon's dick? On. Yeah. Um, and then when he asked his dad for like a, actually, he's the only one you ever see asking his dad for money. Yeah. So or talking about money. Yeah. Like, so the other part of this show, and equally as fascinating are the characters who have kind of worked their way up. I'm Tom and Greg. Okay. So I have in my notes here, two idiots who aren't as dumb as people think, which are from you. I concur. And I was like, I wrote also in the outline, I was like, I think Tom is the smartest one and he's playing the long game. I agree. And like, even when things don't go his way, I mean, you know, you see in the first season, he's, dating Shiv and he's worked his way up at the company. Uh, his parents pay for the wine at the wedding and it's uh, and he's he is a sweet Midwestern guy turned into a shark but he still has that sweet that sweetness under like underlying him but he also will betray his own wife to get ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think the line that he tells Greg, which is like, I've watched a lot of people get fucked. I've never seen Logan get fucked once. That yeah. to me, like shows how he thinks about things. Like he's, you know, he's putting his allegiance behind people. I think he's going to, that he thinks will win. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, and that mirrors another character's line where Jerry says, how does this benefit me? You mm -hmm. should think for every action, how does this benefit me? Um, and we'll get to Jerry and, and the other advisors in a second, but Tom and Greg, 
are this, I don't want to say, I hate the word iconic, like iconic duo. They're, I mean, <laughs> that, that chemistry is they're out amazing. of control. It is out of control good. Like, they're so funny together. Um, it's it's a chance for Tom to take out all his frustrations of being, you know, kind of <laughs> controlled by Shiv. He takes it out on Greg. Yeah. So there's this theory um, about how Apple in general doesn't like their iPhones being used in movies by the villain characters. And in this last episode where Tom is holding up his phone up to Logan's ear so the kids can basically say goodbye, Tom does not have an iPhone. So the fairy goes like, oh, maybe he is an ultimate villain <laughs> if they didn't get permission to give him an iPhone or something. Oh my God, yeah. So actually going down the rabbit hole of, because I read everything on the internet about yeah. succession, um, because I'm very busy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, there is a theory that in the, uh, you know, the opening credits with that beautiful music, which we will also oh, discuss later, yeah. um, the back of the head shown for like the person who takes over is Tom's. Oh, mm. interesting. Interesting. That's who my money's on, to be honest. Like I've been saying this yeah. last season where when he betrayed Shiv, I was like, oh, he's going all the way to the top. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I would say so too. I mean, I think that, and I also think that the other three, which we will discuss, I mean, we haven't talked about cousin Greg, but is there that much to just dissect about cousin? I Greg? think he's not as dumb as he appears. Like I think Tom's definitely shrewder than he is, yeah. but Greg's got a few kind of poker moves as well. And I think that's the purpose that he brings. He's not just comedic relief, but it's to show like, he can show up and be really clever at times as well. But he more than like, anything, like the Greg Tom dynamic is just magic. <laughs> it's magic. He's not, uh, Greg isn't as much of an agent as the other characters. Like he's not scheming. He's kind of, he's reacting. Mm -hmm. Greg is funny. Greg is hilarious. There's not that much to talk about, about Greg. Yeah. Honestly. Let's get to the last group of folks. Let's get are. to the last group of folks. Cause Guys, we have so much to say about this <laughs> fucking show. I'm sorry, but it's a testament to the writers. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. So the advisors. So we got our Jerry, our Frank, our Carl, our Carolina, our Carrie, and also my personal favorite, Hugo. <laughs> Hugo and his neck. What is happening there? It's so skinny. Al Fisher Stevens is like a great actor. He's like one of these actors that's been around for a really long time. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating to show him to see it to see him show up in this role what i find really interesting about these players is they've all been consistent right since the mm -hmm. beginning and supposedly they've all been around for decades and it just goes to show you like they're all really good at maneuvering working around logan's mo moods you know mm -hmm. being his hitman when he needs them and just like these are the survivors and like this is what it takes to last in an environment like that and I wouldn't want to trade places with any of them. But at the same time, you kind of have to be impressed by their endurance and durability. Right. So, okay. So I think Hugo is more a comic relief character, which is why I love him so much. Mm -hmm. Carolina has been so consistent and she's always been a main member of the cast. I don't know much about her, except she's very even tempered mm -hmm. and even keeled, which is what you want in your PR rep. PR person, yeah. Um, but there's not really that much to discuss about her. Uh, Frank and Carl, 
I adore, but they're also kind of like side characters. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like they're like Frank is the one who he's fired 10,000 times yeah. and <laughs> makes it makes a ton of like high culture references, which is another thing about the class angle of this show. Like he's uh, what do you say? Oh, you'll be my uh, Coriolanus, which is uh, it's a Shakespeare reference. Mm -hmm. uh, and Logan's like, shove that shit up your ass. <laughs> Um, but and, and so you see a little bit of him, but Jerry's the one who has the most to do with this story. She's the general general counsel, I believe, when the series mm -hmm. opens. Yes. And at some point during like the oh, there's we haven't even talked about this, but the whole controversy with uh the cruises and you know, sexual harassment, this all this stuff happens with the company. And they need to make a personnel change. They put Jerry in as interim CEO. Jerry is the quintessential person who stays in her lane. Mm -hmm. Knows when not to open her mouth and fuck everything up. Yeah. And has made it really far in that way. But also very shrewd. There is a scene where she's at home watching TV. Mm -hmm. And she's watching Pierce. Mm -hmm. She's mm -hmm. watching basically MSNBC. Yeah. Um, like that's what, sh that's her inclination. <laughs> the other thing to talk about with Jerry is her perverse relationship with Roman, which almost is her undoing if Logan hadn't yes. died. Yes. What do you think about that one? <laughs> like, I, I find it so entertaining and in line more with like Roman's weird sexual tendencies. Like, I feel like it's more a reflection on Roman than it is on Jerry, but what, what are your thoughts? Well, why, well, why is she going, I mean, why is she going along with this? I mean, they're in the most recent episode where he, Roman tries to fire her at the behest of his father who makes him do it. Cause he's mm -hmm. the dad knows that Roman has, thing for her because he got the accidental dick pic oh my god and it's a bit that, sadistic when that happened i lost it it was such an incredible tension it was yeah but it's you know it's sadistic of i mean it's logan going out with like a sadistic bang being like mm -hmm. i know that you have feelings for jerry i'm gonna make you fire her to prove your devotion to me yeah the weird thing is she's so careful in so many other ways and I wonder if, like, she just wanted to create this little avenue, this little pocket of fun for herself or something. Like, I, because it doesn't make sense from, like, risking it all for this kind of perspective, right? So maybe it was a joke that got out of hand that she thought she could control. But I find it interesting that she even started it, given how measured she is with every other word she says. I mean, maybe she was just, you know, adding up her bets and it's like, Maybe Roman's having not, him on my side would help me later on. Roman's it. not unlikely, but he's yeah. the he's the kid who will take me, you know, all the way. Should we touch upon some of the side characters who are nonetheless super fascinating and tell us a lot about the world that this show exists in? Um, uh, Willa is the obvious first one. Mm -hmm. Such great ha acting. Oh, she's but, a you know, star she, with such limited lines. She went to Juilliard. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh. Yeah. Like, best actresses of their generation. It's like, she's... She's fabulous. She's fabulous. Uh, so that's Connor's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. uh, who they met as 
when she was an escort and he fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a playwright and he produces her terrible play. <laughs> and in the most recent, well, the episode where Logan dies, they get married. Mm-hmm. And she very reluctantly marries him. And they have this conversation, which I thought was very striking. He said, are you just with me for the money? And she looks at him and she says, honestly, like, that's part of it. But I think you're a great dude, too. Mm -hmm. And somehow it's very sweet. Exactly. Because she's so honest about it, which makes you trust her when she says that she thinks he's a great guy as well. He doesn't expect much more. Yeah. But that brings up the question, like, you know, to what extent are marriages, even modern love marriages, practical arrangements. Yeah. To a large extent, you know, raising kids together. Willa, you know, doesn't really have another lifeline. Connor just adores her, though. That's the sweetest part. Connor just adores her. Mm -hmm. She's Uh, fabulous. She is so fabulous. Okay, some other ones. I know this is getting really long. Um, I wanted to touch on, so the Pierces. Love the Pierces. (laughs) The Pierces are a family that uh, own, like, kind of a... Uh, like a rival media network. A rival, like a, but they're they're politically much more liberal. Mm-hmm. A media empire. I think they're supposed to be the Sulzbergers. I think who own the New York Times Company, uh, and they're very, you know, they are extremely old money coded. Mm-hmm. So they very intellectual, and they have this kind of way about the, you know, there's this line where. Uh, Nan Pierce says this season, she's like, oh, I don't, uh, I don't like this wine from our vineyard, which is like a very nice wine. She's like, I develop a taste to like, Vin de table rouge du marché, which means like supermarket mm-hmm. wine in French. But that's a sign that she's, you know, she says it in French because she spent her time there. And, right. Um, and all the artifacts in their home that are like, you know, you can tell it's little things they've gotten from their travels and interactions with people, whereas like the Roy homes are just really sterile. <laughs> right. And like a Roy would never drink that kind of wine. They would just be like, ew, like this is right. Vul- like This is poor wine. But they are not that far removed from actually being poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just find the Pierce's to be like a really fun contrast that shows off their um their social Mm -hmm. standing and how precarious it is the thing about like the yeah the british the british writers is they're very acutely aware of class and Mm -hmm. i think that they you know i mean british the british class system is so much more layered and intricate and there's things about accents and like family history and like where like you know one station and the American one is, I think, easier to work with. But something about the fact that the writers are British has to do with how acutely they observe our own class. Differences. Yes. I love the Pierces as well. I find their home, their environment, their dress, like everything about them is that like perfect contrast to where when you see the Pierces, you actually start to realize certain things about the Roys where you're like, Oh, they are quite new money, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. they really don't, they probably haven't traveled that much. They probably don't know that much literature, but you know, like you start mm-hmm. to see the contrast a lot, even though their mother's British, et cetera. So 
Um, but I, I can think of a couple examples of people that I've known, obviously not wealthy like the Roy's, where they're very American in their sort of upbringing and don't really like to travel, but they have one parent that's foreign. And that's kind of it as far as their cultural curiosity. And that's a little bit of what I see the Roy kids as is like, yeah, you're foreign and American, but they have no cultural curiosity beyond that. You know, in the bore on the floor episode, they mm-hmm. are in Hungary. Mm-hmm. They're, the line from that show was, oh, they let you shoot stuff here and nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But I was really looking forward to it because I had read that they did this thing in Hungary and I uh, did all the levels of Duolingo in Hungarian during wow. COVID because, uh, you know, I have practical hobbies and <laughs> I. It's really going to come in handy. It, no, it's just bland and they could they could honestly be anywhere like they, they could, could be, be they could be anywhere and i think that that's a that's a thing about most of the show is like yes they're in new york in this re- recent season they're like partly in la but who even knows where they where where they are like in new york they don't they mm-hmm. don't walk down the street they don't take the subway no they go from car to plane to helicopter to sterile building like just back and forth and back and forth yeah yeah like who who like what difference does it make so but anyway we could talk forever and ever about and we already have right and we have (laughs) thanks for coming on this ride with us guys i think we could talk forever on on the characters but why don't we do some recommendations and then we'll proceed to part two in the next episode all right kick us off with your recommendation my recommendation is a book uh it's was written in the mid 90s it's by a guy named paul fussell f-u-s-s-e-l-l and it's called class and what it it's a very descriptive analysis of the different types of class we have in america like the class system in america so like this the strata of it you know you have your like plutocrats your old money your new money it's it's 30 years old but it still stands as a kind of milieu for what this show exists in so you understand like that dynamic of it i think that the class dynamics of this show are the most interesting part and so i think that you know just the little things you notice in the behaviors of the characters and um how they interact with people from different social groups is so well explained by mm-hmm. this book. Um, the other recommendation I have, which is a little bit more fun is older. So it's the preppy handbook, <laughs> the official preppy handbook. <laughs> it is, it's a satirical book from the eighties for those of you guys who don't know it. And it's talking about like, the habits of old money people. Uh, I mean, it's basically the Pierce's described. Uh, um, it's just, it's, it's a really good dissection and, and, and very funny of just the, the habits of the upper class. Yeah. So anyway, Sinaz, what is your recommendation? Okay. So my recommendation is a straightforward one. It is the HBO official podcast about succession. Yeah, it's um, great. So they've had two hosts in the early phases. They actually interviewed each of the main actors and then they started doing kind of an episode by episode wrap up. So if you're caught up and want something for season four, it's really interesting. They 
bring on guests to talk about different angles of the book, whether it's a business person that can tell us if their boardroom meetings are really like that, or, you know, a divorce lawyer to tell us how it's going to go for Shiv and Tom, et cetera. Right. Um, it's, it's been very interesting. And I really love when they bring on the creators like Jesse Armstrong and Mike Malloy, the director and all, um, just to get a glimpse of how they thought about the characters and the scenes. So in the next episode, we are going to be delving into all the theatrical elements of the show. You know, the mise-en-scene, the lighting, the sets, uh, the costumes, and all the things that communicate to us without words what is going on. Can't wait. Can't, Can't wait. wait. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye, everybody. All right. See you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.